Hi, my name is Molly Schulte Tucker, and I have the privilege of pastoring the good people of Ridgewood Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. month of May, we have been focusing on mental health, especially through the lens of family systems theory or Bowen family systems theory. While I am not a trained therapist, I do believe that this theory tells us a lot about ourselves as individuals and family systems and also tells us about ourselves as people within a church family. Our first two weeks, we discussed how you are not created in a vacuum, but are created by influences, by family and friends, whether blood-related or not. But we are not meant to live in isolation. We are intended from the point of creation to be living in community with one another. In this week's sermon, we'll discuss Jesus's words from Matthew 18, as he talks about how to communicate with one another when conflict or crisis arises. This week's scripture comes from Matthew 18, verses 15 through 22. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, Take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by the Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I got word this week of yet another pastor friend who is leaving the church. Not just the pastorate that they serve, but is leaving with no intent to have a job in another church. They are just another one of what we have come to call the Great Resignation. For over the past year to year and a half, the flood of pastors and ministers who have been leaving their positions, not for other churches, but to leave ministry altogether. Perhaps those we don't hear about are the individuals in the church body who also feel the need to leave the church. More times than not, it's because of a conflict or crisis moment. And to be sure, the last two years have definitely held enough conflicts and crisis moments. But I think 
what we can learn from Jesus's words today is that it's not that conflicts and crises don't happen, but that Jesus gives us specific instructions for how to handle these. Now, I know in this sermon, I could probably touch a nerve if you've been part of a conflict lately or even decades ago. And I by no means speak from a place of perfection or expertise. It's hard for all of us to hear these words from Jesus. In every setting where I was ever trained on how to offer pastoral care within conflict resolution, it was hammered into me to avoid triangulation at all cost. If you aren't familiar with triangulation, think about it this way. It's a lot easier to talk about people than it is to talk directly to people. Or if you want the clinical definition, It's a manipulation tactic to avoid direct conversation. It involves three parties, hence triangulation. Usually when one person who is unhealthy in some way brings in a third person to a situation to maintain or establish control, the manipulator can bank that the other two are not going to directly communicate. The first thing that triangulation does is it creates a sense of isolation. There are two types of triangulation. One is intentional triangulation, and this can be toxic. It's used to assert control, protect one's ego, or sense of power or rightness. There is also unintentional triangulation where a person may reach out for an objective opinion and a way to problem solve and move forward. Further, there is a concept by Stephen Karpman called the drama triangle. He labels each point of the triangle as a different part. And this is where the repetition in the family system becomes evident. On one corner of the triangle, you have the perpetrator. This is the person who criticizes, blames, and judges, or says, it's all your fault. On another corner, you have the victim who says, poor me. The other corner is the rescuer. The rescuer always says, let me help you. The thing is, the perpetrator may present themselves as the victim, but in a bird's eye view, the victim becomes pretty evident. The perpetrator is evident, but the rescuer may not be able to tell the difference. Typically, in family systems, these triangles exist. Sometimes it involves a sibling, Sometimes it involves a child. Sometimes it can even involve a pet. They have existed a long time, and they will probably always exist. They also exist in church families. Triangles do three things. They isolate 
and limit communication. They create relationships built upon negativity. And lastly, they dissuade growth, either numerically or organizationally, because they create a power dynamic based on alliances against people rather than people against problems. When a church or any organization or family or workplace or system has triangles where people are isolated from one another, where relationships are built on negativity, and where power dynamics pit people against one another rather than people against problems. Well, to me, that doesn't sound like a community where mental health is able to thrive. Jesus said, if another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. The Gospels were written somewhere between 60 to 90 years after Jesus's ministry. But in this passage, it is one of three times in this gospel that the word church appears. Remember, Jesus was Jewish. There was not a church at the time that Jesus was speaking these words. Really, we don't discover the church until the day of Pentecost and later as Paul writes letters to the churches. But there is intentionality in Christ's words that when there is conflict in the church, there is intention in this community that is set apart and breathed into by the Holy Spirit to take action. In the 14 verses prior, Jesus talks about what we would call personal sin. You might hear the word stumbling block in those passages. But beginning in verse 15, Jesus flags the reality that sin in whatever way, shape, or form will be present in the life of the church. And there is a specific way, there is an ethic that we go about addressing that avoids embarrassment manipulation, and hurt feelings. And that is having direct conversation with one another. But he says, sometimes that doesn't work. So bring in two or three others to your conversation, not in isolation, not to be on your side. And still sometimes that doesn't work. So if that doesn't work, then take it to the church Say we can't figure out a way to move forward. We need some clarity from this group. You know, this passage is about church conflict. It's about how to move forward in love with one another without exploding a church, which Baptists are historically pretty bad at. 
But I think it's also a way to guard the mental health of those around us. When indirect communications happens, when triangulation happens, here's what appears in the church body. Erosion of trust, hurt feelings, decreased morale, damaged reputations, reduced credibility, increased anxiety, divisiveness, and attrition. On October 12th, 2018, Deborah Grayson Regal wrote an article for the Harvard Business Review called Stop Complaining About Your Colleagues Behind Their Backs. Can you guess what the article was about? She started out with a question to some workforce employees. Do you ever engage in workplace gossip? They all answered, no, of course not. So she rephrased the question. Do you ever participate in a confirmation expedition? (laughs) Do you ever participate in a conversation with others as a way to confirm that you are right about someone? What Regal points out is that being right can actually scientifically and biologically feel good. It means that our brains are releasing dopamine and adrenaline, which means we are actually addicted to being right. We love that feeling of our confirmation expeditions. We're literally addicted. Think about it. How good do you feel when you solve the wordle each day? Or maybe if your candidate wins the election, that feeling that you have chosen the right one. When we look at others' faults intentionally, maliciously, finding every crack we can at every pass possible, This is where the erosion of trust begins. What happens when we go on confirmation expeditions? It's that same list. Erosion of trust, hurt feelings, decreased morale, damaged reputations, reduced credibility, increased anxiety, divisiveness, and attrition. Maybe, as the church, we should stop going on confirmation expeditions. Jesus gives us clear instructions on how to maneuver life together, to guard one another, even in the midst of conflict. As Christians, we are given clear instructions to avoid triangulation which creates harm to one another and causes isolation. New Testament scholar, Dr. M. Eugene Boring says this, commitment to the priority of life together in community does not mean lack of sensitivity to the feelings of other persons, but precisely the opposite. Only by such sensitivity and care can people live together in new family of God 
gathered by Jesus. There is something strangely intimate and intimidating about sitting across the table from someone and having honest conversation. And especially in the past two years, we have become okay with the notion that our computers or our phones can take care of things for us. So as your token millennial pastor, you know I hate Facebook more than I can put into words. And here's the thing. Relationships are not built on digital platforms. Relationships are not deepened, or at least not deepened well, on digital platforms. We are a people who gather. We are a people who look into each other's eyeballs and have been instructed to break bread together. And we do that to create and maintain integrity in relationships, but for ourselves, our families, and our church. One of my favorite lyrics that exists in Christian music is from the second verse of the song called They'll Know We Are Christians by our, by our Love. The lyric says, we'll guard each one's dignity and save each one's pride. And then the chorus jumps in, and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. We'll guard each one's dignity and save each one's pride. That is the place. That is the church that guards and promotes mental health among its people. May it be so. Amen.